So um, if you couldn't tell, we're starting a new series today. Can anybody tell me what book it is? Don't look. Jonah, right. So we're going to be going through the book of Jonah. Um, All of the um, church gurus have taught me over the years to never start a new series on Memorial Day weekend because Jesus himself could be preaching and nobody would come to church. But what do they know? Because we're all here this morning and I'm excited to start a new series. And what's the best part about summer? Swimming, right? And what do you where do you swim in the ocean with the big storm? And okay, that was that was a loose tie to summer. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> but I'm just really excited about the book of Jonah. I kind of did a deep study through it um, during the pandemic, kind of the beginning of the pandemic, and I just knew from that moment on I was going to preach a series through it. And so for the next four to five weeks, depending on how things play out, we're going to go through the book of Jonah. And so you can know what we're going to be talking about. It's only four chapters, so you can go, you can read it every week over and over again. Um, And so I'm really excited to unpack that. Before we actually jump into the message, I do want to read an email that we got. So, you know, we were collecting some bras for uh, Free the Girls, an organization where they um, work with... uh, women who've been survivors from trafficking. And so we donated these bras to them and they sent us a thank you email. And this is also something that we can do ongoing. It's not like a one-time thing, but I just wanted to read you guys kind of the first part of the email because it was a, a group effort for us all to donate them. But this is what they sent to us. They said, thank you for donating bras to free the girls. Your donation, regardless of how big or small, can make a huge difference by becoming a means for us to empower survivors. Together, we are helping these trafficking survivors rebuild their lives and create a new future through job creation. Isn't it amazing that something as simple as a donating bras can do all of that? So I just wanted to thank you guys for being a part of that and uh, look forward to seeing what else we can do and what more we can collect for them and making that difference. Um, So that said, let's pray and we'll jump into our series. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your presence. We thank you for your, uh, just the way you move. And we just ask now that as we come and we study your word, that you will just bring it to life for us, that we can dive into it and that you will uh, mold our hearts, turn us into the people you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to kind of just be going through the book. I'm going to start, I'm just going to start with verse one and we'll kind of read and unpack Um, So let's go. It's going to be Jonah 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. No, guys, that's funny. What? You don't get it? You don't get it? See, this is where I want to start, because the book of Jonah is not the story we all know. That is a hilarious line to an ancient reader. And we're going to get and unpack why that is, because this book is actually pretty funny. Like, if you want to talk about um, humor in the Bible, Jonah is a rich, rich book. It's only four chapters, but the, the I'm actually, for the fun, taking a uh, seminary course through the Bible Project for free. It's 18 hours just on these four chapters, right? So it's this book is rich, but the problem is it kind of has been turned into a children's story, right? And so what is the children's story? It's, you know, Jonah is afraid, so he runs. Then they throw him off the boat. He gets swallowed by a whale. He 
decides, he changes his mind, he's going to listen to the Lord. The Lord has him spit out the well, he lands on the beach, he goes and he preaches. And that's the end of the story, right? And I even have a, one, one of Eddie Lee's little children's Bibles that we have here, right? And it's got the story of Jonah in here. And actually, I was pretty proud of this Bible because it does a lot better job than like some of the other things I've seen. But We've got Jonah running. We've got Jonah in the boat being asked, like, why, why is your God so angry? Being thrown over, being swallowed by a giant fish. Notice it's a fish, not a whale. We'll get there. All right. And then he's in the, the belly of the fish. And then he gets spit out and he goes to Nineveh. And that's the end of the story. But the problem is that's not the end of the story. Like, there's a whole nother chapter. Where's chapter 4? Chapter 4 is not even in here. In fact, chapter 4 is not in any book that you can get. Just go on Amazon and, and scroll through the options. You can go in uh, Lifeway, if they even have those stores around anymore, or Hobby Lobby, and pick up books on Jonah. They don't include chapter 4, because chapter 4 is it's kind of dark. Like, Jonah gets mad at God, and that doesn't really work well in a children's book. Right there. I mean, how many of you, if you saw the intro video, there's a whole scene where there's a tree over Jonah, right? And there's a whole scene in chapter four where this tree raises up and gives Jonah shade and he's excited about it. But then the next night, a worm comes and eats the tree and the tree dies. But how many of us even knew that there was a tree and a worm in the book of Jonah? Because it's kind of been turned into this moralistic, obey God and things will work out type of story because we use that to teach our kids. And listen, I'm all for taking the Bible and getting it on a people's level. Like that's important. But when we just turn it into a moralistic story about obeying God, we get a general point. The book is about obedience, but, but we miss so much of the richness that is the book of Jonah. And so my goal through this series is to really unpack that. And today we're on a rescue mission. That's the theme of this message, right? It's going to be foundational. We're not really going to, we're going to pick some verses out of here and there to kind of drive the points home, but we're really going to kind of be talking about the, the book of Jonah as a whole. And we're going to try to rescue it from this sense of it being a children's moralistic obey and God will be happy with you type story, all right? And so the first thing I want to do, point number one, is let's rescue the story. When we talk about and we hear Jonah, the story of Jonah, we think about Jonah being swallowed by the well. That's the the climax of the story. That's the big point of the thing. But here's the deal. The well is not even a whale. If we look in it, and it's, it's only talked about in, what, two sentences in the whole book? And it's actually called a big fish. And here's the deal. You can, you can kind of get to whale, because if we think about big fish and, and the Hebrew um, language, they didn't really have a word for whale. But in the Greek language, they did. And Matthew talks about Jonah in the book of Matthew. <laughs> Jesus talks about Jonah in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40. And he calls it a big fish. They could have used the word whale, but... They didn't. They used fish. So there's a sense that this is not a whale, it's a fish, but that's not really a big deal because here's the problem. The fish is not the focus. When we're talking about the book of Jonah, the fish is not the focus. It's not some moralistic story because when we, when we make the fish the focus, we don't ever even get to chapter 4. And when we don't get to chapter 4, we miss the fact that the Ninevites are these horrible people that God saves. We miss the fact that Jonah has suicidal desires. We miss the fact about the tree and the worm at the end of the book. The big problem is most of us know this because of the VeggieTale moralistic stories, but Jonah is different than that. Without chapter 4, Jonah is the hero of the story. 
right? Like he repents. He goes to Nineveh. They get saved. We all are praising Jonah, but Jonah is a horrible person. If you keep and you look and you get to to chapter four, we're going to unpack it even more. He wants to die because the Ninevites have been saved by God. That's how, the, that's how the book ends. It ends with this question of God asking, is it okay if I save the Ninevites? And then we don't even get an answer. Without chapter four, we miss the whole point of the book. We have to rescue this story and realize that it's more than just a focus on the fish. The fish is not the focus. It ends with this question that God is asking Jonah. And he's, he's like, God, is it, is it okay if I want to save the Ninevites? And it ends with that question. We don't ever get an answer from Jonah. And this is a huge hint as as to what the story is. Because what happens is the the author of Jonah is like painting this picture. And we're going to unpack this picture that he's painting throughout the whole book. And then we get to the end and it's like, so here's the question. And it's left like they didn't have punctuation in the Bible, but if they did, it would be a dot, dot, dot. Like we're left waiting with like, what does Jonah say? What does Jonah say? And the reason is because the author doesn't want to give us that answer. It's meant to make us ask the question, what about me? Am I okay if God does this? Am I okay being a part? So we have to rescue the story first and foremost. From there, we have to rescue the reading, right? And by rescue the reading, I mean the type of book that this is. The author ends with that question because it's a heart check. It's a heart check for you and I. Are we going to be a part of what God's doing? Are we okay with God's character rescuing people? Jonah is this representative character meant to cause you and I to pause. Wait, say, wait a minute. Hold on. It's supposed to click. When that question ends, we're supposed to go, whoa, this is, this is a punch in the gut. This is about me. How do I feel? How, what is this going on? The, the, the book is meant to make the author, the author meant for the book to make the reader check their heart. But the problem is it's become a kind of a litmus test, right? We want to know how faithful of a Christian are you? Do you believe in miracles, right? Because we kind of look at and we think about how Jonah is swallowed by a well. And that seems pretty hard to believe, right? So if you don't believe Jonah can be swallowed by well slash big fish, then that means you don't believe in miracles. And so we kind of turn this book, when you, what do you think about Jonah? Do you think he really could have been swallowed by a big fish? If you say no, then you're not a real believer. You don't really know the Bible. But there's kind of two perspectives on the book of Jonah. This gets kind of academic, so stay with me for just a second, okay? But there's this historical truth. This is Jonah. It comes from Jonah telling somebody about his life experience, and they wrote it down. This is all historical facts. And so you got some real points for that because Jonah was a real person. You can read about in 2 Kings 14, 25, where he prophesies that this evil king of Israel that people don't like is actually going to do well, and he's going to win these battles, right? So we see that Jonah makes this prophecy, and it comes. so we know Jonah is a real person. We see Jesus talk about Jonah as if he's a real person in the book of Matthew. Some of the early writers like Josephus and other Jewish writers convey the story as historically accurate. And then, so you have, and Jesus uses it as a metaphor. So we have all of these things that kind of point to this being real. Jonah was a real person. Uh, The Ninevites were real people. There's the sense of, of Jesus talks about as real. And the earliest writings that we see from 
people writing history, Jewish history, consider it a real story. But there's this other side that it could be a parable, right? Because Jesus told parables, and in his parables, there were some times where he used real people. We think about uh, the the poor beggar named Lazarus and the rich man. He tells this parable with the Lazarus was a real person, but the story is meant to just convey a message. So it's possible to tell a parable using real people. And then that we also see the fact that the Bible oftentimes when it gives history, we, it gives names. It gives people that you can go and you can track down and you can see the history of these cities. You can see the history of these people. You can see the kings that are in this time period. So we know that it's historically accurate. But in the book of Jonah, it doesn't list these names. It says that the king of Nineveh repents, but it doesn't give us his name. This is like one of the most powerful people in the world, but it doesn't give us his name. That's unusual. And then there's also the fact of all this fanatical things being mentioned. We talk, we're going to talk about Tarshish. We talk about being swallowed by a fish. We talk about a tree growing overnight and then dying overnight. There's all these kind of crazy, miraculous things that are kind of far-fetched. So is it a parable or is it historical? And I believe that it can truly be read either way. You can read it as a parable or history and still be... Um, honest with the text. Does that make sense? Are you still tracking with me? That said, whether you believe it's parable or historical, both of those things have one thing in common, and that's that it is satire. Do we know what satire is? Satire is like uh, things that are have some truth, but they're embellished a little bit to make a point. So actually, um, I've got some examples from some cartoons. Lauren, can you throw those on the screen for me? So we have a welcome to our church, even though you're sitting in our family pew. Whoa. (laughs) All right. Anybody ever been to one of those churches, right? Like, we're glad you're here, but you need to get out of my seat, right? So it's a cartoon. It's not real, but it's kind of real and it's kind of poking fun at something. What's the next one? Two passes, best prices. So, anybody ever been to uh, Atlanta at any kind of sporting event? Right, we got some scalping going on for people trying to get into to heaven. Right, okay, that was kind of funny. All right, what's the next one, Lauren? Um, this is the gates of hell, and we have. And if you don't have an attorney, we've got millions of them. Get it? Get it? So, so satire is kind of this thing where we got poking fun. It, it uses real people, real events, but it stretches the truth to kind of make you laugh. But the laugh is kind of like, a, oh man, because there's some truth to it. And it kind of hurts a little bit, right? So you could think about things like, uh, I think about Saturday Night Live and uh, the skit. And I think it was 2014, we had the snow apocalypse, right? There was like half an inch of snow and it completely froze Atlanta. People were stranded for days on the highway. It was like this big mess and it wasn't even that much snow. And so SNL did a skit of like people being stranded in Atlanta. So it was like, oh man, that's funny. But it's true. Oh, okay. So satire is kind of like you can go online to um, the Babylon Bee or the Onion. These are kind of some websites that have fake news articles. And the sad part is they're definitely fake, but they are were oftentimes shared in the political season like they were real. Um, so, anyways, it kind of pokes fun at the reader or pokes fun at the the people consuming the satire. But there's this truth about it that makes you go, "Whoa, wait a minute." maybe there's an extremity or maybe there's something extreme here because 
there's some truth truth to it. It kind of makes you look in and check your own heart. So in the book of Jonah, we have some examples. The first one is what I was talking about. Very, the very first verse, Jonah, son of Amittai, which literally means dove, son of faithfulness. And so that's why I was like, oh, that's funny, because if there's anything, dove, son of faithfulness, Jonah, son of Amittai, that's what that means. He was anything but faithful. And dove is like this sweet, innocent bird, and he was anything but sweet and innocent. He wanted to die. He got mad at God for saving others. He ran the opposite direction. Like, like the very first line of this book makes you chuckle because the name and the meaning of it in itself does not make sense with the story of the book. You keep going on. He, he, we know that Jonah, instead of going to the Ninevites, instead of going to Nineveh, he flees to Tarshish. All right, and this is really funny because Tarshish is the complete opposite direction. Can you throw up the first map that I have? So we've got this map, right? And so Joppa is where he gets on the boat. This is where God has called him, and he goes way over here. But the thing about this is what we're looking at is in Jonah's time, this is pretty much, give or take, the known world, right? So he's going as far away as possible. Let me see the next one. What we were looking at was right here, right? Nineveh, Joppa, this map ended like right in here. This is pretty much the known world. But wait a minute. He goes all, he's as far as he can in the opposite direction. Look at where Nineveh is. As far away as humanly possible. Like you would have to get on multiple boats. You'd have to go through several canals. This would not be an easy trip. And he is going as far away as possible. And the thing is, Tarshish is a real place. It is a real place, but it's almost hysterical to say he's going there. It's almost not even really possible, right? And so the thing is, it's kind of like uh, we use the word Timbuktu. Like, oh man, I was in a had a football game one time and it was, we had like sacked the quarterback like three or four times and it was fourth and Timbuktu is what the announcer made. It was a joke. Like, like it is so far away. They're never going to get there. But Timbuktu is a real place. Like Google it, go home. It's on the map, right? So, so it's a sense of it's a real place, but it's satire with how far away it really is. And we all know like you can't flee from the Lord, but that's what Jonah's trying to do. If you look and you see when he gets on the boat, he's literally trying to flee from the Lord. And the next thing is this word huge, right? So if you go and you read the book, you would think that Donald Trump himself might have wrote it, right? It's huge. Everything is huge. It's like listen to one of his speeches. Everything is huge. It's bigger. It's more powerful. The The Hebrew word for huge is used 15 times in this four chapter book, 15 times. The fish is huge. The city is huge. It talks about Nineveh and him and it taking him three days to walk through. That would make the city being like 45 miles long, 45 miles wide. When reality, it was like seven miles wide and it was one of the biggest cities there. So they've stretched the length. They've stretched the size of the city. It's a huge fish, a huge city, a huge storm over and over and over again. Everything is big. Everything is fanatical. It's this satire drawing you in and just painting this picture of everything being really, really big. We even have a point in, when, when uh, Jonah preaches his, this five word. If you go and you read the Hebrew, the Hebrew is five words. He preaches a message that's five words long. Like he barely even preaches. That's not even trying. I know you guys would be thankful if I preached a message that was five words long, right? But this is a five word. And, and after that five word long message, 120,000 people get saved. Even the cows repent. 
Like we all know that cows can't repent, but that's what happens in this story. The very last word of the book is cows, right? We see that even the cows repent. So there's this sense of it being satire, drawing you in, making this big picture so that you look and you laugh. As you're reading this book, you're like, wow, that's funny. Oh, man. But then, oh, man, that's got some truth to it. And it kind of punches you in the gut. So we've we've rescued the story. We've rescued the reading. We now know it's satire. It's something to to bring focus, to make us check our heart. And now I want to rescue the mission of the book. The book is not about making sure you obey so God can be happy. It's not this moralistic story. But it's the fact that God is moving and he's using humanity to do it. And are we going to be a part of the move of God? It's not whether you believe in miracles. It's not whether it's historical or parable. It's not whether you think that he could be swallowed by a fish or not. It's asking a much more difficult question. It's saying God is moving Are you going to participate? God is on the move. Are you going to be a part of it? And it's easy for us to say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And then we realize that the the move that God is making is not something it's easy to be a part of. He's calling Jonah. He's calling Jonah to go to the Ninevites because God is going to save them. God sees the destruction that they're making and God wants wants to save the world from Nineveh, almost. So when we go and we look at it, we see that destruction is their future unless they repent. And we get this beautiful picture of of the truth about God. Like in reality, God is more than just saving his chosen people. Like a lot of times we go and we we hear people talk about the Israelites being God's chosen people. And we think that that God has come and he he picked them out and he chose them. But God went to Abraham and Abraham was meant to be a blessing to the rest rest of the world. So we see that, that Jonah is now going to Nineveh and God is saving a people that aren't even his people. The Ninevites aren't God's people, but he's going to save them. God's mission throughout the Bible is not just to rescue a certain chosen group. His, His mission is to save everyone. And this points to Jesus. This points forward to Jesus. Jesus even uses Jonah as an illustration of him being in the well for three days and Jesus going to the grave for three days and rising to life because that was the rescue mission. God sent himself to die for us. So we've got this sense that when we look and we read Jonah, we see that God is, is about saving people. Not the people that look like they're supposed to look. Not the people that are going to church and doing everything like they're supposed to be. Not that God's chosen. God is here to rescue everybody. And we hear that good news. We think, man, I look at my life and I see all the areas where I've fallen short. All the areas where sin has, has just defeated me and I've fallen into temptation. But I know that God died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I've been rescued by him. And we hear that good news and we think, man, I'm excited. Yes, I want to be a part of that. God uses humanity to, to, to preach that message. He uses his people to go out and show people that Jesus changes everything. We sing about it this morning. Because of Jesus, fear falls. Because of Jesus, uh, we are healed. And he uses his people to bring that message to their neighbors. And that's exciting and we want to be a part of that. We believe God has called us and we're we're agreeing in that. But then we realize that when we look at the book of Jonah, he's called to save the Ninevites. And what we need to know is we got to kind of unpack the Ninevites for a second. Because Nineveh was, was more, it says that they're this evil city. And they were more than just an evil city. They were the sworn enemies of God and his people. And they were, it was terrible, terrible people. 
They were the capital of ancient Assyria. And this is the the same Assyria that wiped out 10 of the tribes of Israel, completely removed them from the map. They're gone, no more because of Assyria. They would go in and they they were brutal and oppressive and violent. They were the most violent of any of the ancient empires. They had this general practice that they would go in and plunder a city and they would literally, kids cover your ears, they would skin alive the leaders of the city in front of everybody. And so the people are left there watching this happen. And then when they're, they're crying, they're screaming, they're afraid, at that point they hang that skin up outside the city to warn others before taking everyone else that's still alive to their own city to be slaves. It's horrible, absolutely horrible. And guess what? God's called Jonah to go there. Right, right. That's the, and that's the story we know. Like I would be terrified. I would be so afraid that I would not want to go. And so we see the book, we see how the book of Jonah begins and he's running to Tarshish. Like, okay, yeah, me too. I don't want to do that. I'm scared. Well, you want to know what happens in the book of Jonah? He doesn't run because he's scared. That's what we think. That's the, the VeggieTales version. That's what we've learned. But let's read chapter four, verses one through three. But Jonah seemed, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. So we've got, this is the end of the story. I'm letting you know the end before we even get there. Jesus saves the Ninevites. They repent and Jesus say, and God saves them. And to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He was angry that God rescued them. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, back before I decided to run, while I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This was the reason I ran. This is why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah runs because he knows that our God is a good God, that our God is a rescuing God, and our God is going to look at these evil people who are Jonah's enemies, and he's going to save them. Jonah doesn't run because he's scared. He runs because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't want them to get saved. That's what happens in this story. And we look at that and we think, man, what about me? Do I want God to save my enemies? Let's be honest, we have a hard time getting along with family, with friends that are close to us. Somebody that we love does something that rubs us the wrong way or even does it different than what we would do it, and we get bitter or jealous or angry, short-tempered. And God is saying, do you want me to rescue your enemies? Sometimes we can't even get to that question because we can't get along with our neighbor. But that's what the book is asking. God is on the move. Jonah had a plan for his life, and it did not include leading Nineveh to Yahweh. Jonah had a plan for his life, and it didn't include participating in this calling of God. He was running for his life. He was running what he thought was for his life. It makes me think about uh, being the parent of a toddler, I feel like every day is a rescue mission. Um, every day is, Adelie, don't touch that. Adelie, stay away from that. Adelie, don't run in the street. Adelie, don't do this, right? Over and over again, it's like the day is 
as a good day if you've kept her alive. <laughs> like that's, that's what the day feels like sometimes. And then you add another baby on top of that, and it's like, what am I even doing? <laughs> Parenting is hard, right? And it, I, actually, I could think about a time when I was um, on the square, and Avery was screaming, crying. She was a lot younger now. And I was trying to figure out what was wrong with her, trying to get her a bottle, change her diaper. And Addie Lee is sitting beside the car. She's standing outside the car and she's like busy touching things. And she starts to run out towards the street. I think she like saw, um, I don't know, some kids playing with a scooter or something. I can't remember. But she saw something that interested her. And she started to go towards the street. And I was like, Addie Lee, no, come back. And so she stops in her tracks, praise the Lord. She looked at me. But in that moment, she looks at me and it was like, but dad, I want to go play. You're, you're taking, you're making my life boring. You're taking this away from me. But the truth was she was going to have to cross a street to get there. And had there been a car coming, it would be losing her life. And there's this sense that God is calling each of us. Like, like ministry is not for the pastors. It's not for the church leaders. Ministry is for everybody. In your workplace, at your school, in your home, we're all called to, to testify about who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. And a lot of times that even means going to our enemies, like Jonah, and God is asking us to obey, and we're like, no way, God, I can't do that. And we think he's, he's being a mean father when he's trying to ask us to obey, but he's really trying to lead us to life, not from it. And there's this sense when we read the book of Jonah that God is calling Jonah to participate in his will, to participate in his rescue mission. That's what the theme of today is. We, we rescue the story, we rescue the reading, we rescue the mission. God is on a rescue mission to save the world. And he's asked us to participate in it. And that's hard because sometimes that means going to people we don't like, getting out of our comfort zone, doing things that, that, that we're not used to doing. But God's called us to that. And we read this book of Jonah and it ends with this question. And it ends with this question that says, are, are you, he's, he's talking to John, he says, and should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more people than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left. They don't know what's wrong and what's right. And also they have many animals. That's us. God, God's looking at you. Should I not go to them? Should I not save your enemy? Should I not save the difficult people? Should I not save your neighbor? Are you going to be a part of it? God is on the move. God is on mission, and he's called us to participate in that. There, there are rare times in the Bible, like Mount Sinai, when you see this giant fire glory cloud and God speaks through a megaphone, right? And there's a sense of God can, can change and, and speak. You, you think about uh, Paul on the road to Damascus and he sees Jesus in this bright light, that blind, it's blinding light. But over and over and over again, those are rare. God uses his people. God wants to use you. Are we going to participate? Are we going to love our enemies? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we dive through this series, as we kind of lay this foundation of what it means to love our enemies and what it means to participate in your calling, I know, Lord, that this requires difficult steps. It requires making hard decisions. I pray for your grace and your mercy as we navigate that. But I do pray that we will be a people drawn to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, 
to participate in your mission. Give us the strength and the courage we need in moments when we're weak. Lord, allow us to lean on each other and to lean on you that we can live out the calling that you've given us. Lord, we want to see people find freedom. We want to see lives changed. We want to see families healed. We want to see a better workplace. And it all starts with us living on mission that you've called us to. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. Open our our hearts so that when we look around, we see the opportunities to participate in a move of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.